Hello, my lovelies. It has been quite some time since I have updated this podcast. Um, A lot's been going on. There was, you know, like a pandemic and, um, you know, kids and life and things. So I thought that I would try to get back on and talk about one of the things that I think has been a really big challenge in my life that has recently been revealed to me. So I'm just going to dig right in. Welcome everyone to Mythical Magpie, my podcast. Um, I talk about gaming and life and all kinds of things. And today I'm going to be talking about ADHD. Woohoo! So I am 44 years old as of this very moment. And I um, have been working on mental health for quite some time. I was diagnosed in college with um, depression, bipolar disorder, and um, had been unsuccessfully treating that for the majority of the last 24 years. And for the longest time, I was just not getting a whole lot of um, symptom relief. I was not getting a whole lot of support that was helping me. So... Um, I was still going to therapy and trying out different medications. And during the pandemic, my therapist got a new job. Good for him. Um, I did miss him, but I got a new therapist. And after discussing a lot of the things, I have a lot of anxiety. And while that is my primary symptom, she asked me if I had ever been tested for ADHD. And let's just get this out of the way. Um, So after having children and a couple of pretty traumatic birth experiences for both of my kids, you know, I was feeling a lot of anxiety and a lot of it was related to taking care of and protecting my kids. Um, In addition, you know, when, when being a young adult that was, um, and I'm going to use AFAB or assigned female gender at birth for a lot of the discussion that I'm going to have today, mostly because I think that it is more inclusive and it is, this is going to be a a discussion about how children are raised um, in our society, or at least in American society, and how the gender roles they are put into differentiate how their treatment and and outcomes in mental health are going to affect them. So, um, I did all right in school. Um, I certainly had a lot of anxiety and stress to succeed. And so when people asked me, you know, how did you do in school as a kid? I did okay. Um, although I certainly knew that there was a large portion of the time of my education that I spent freaking out, just stressing out about getting things accomplished, but then not being able to just sit down and do it. Um, and you know, there, there was a lot of, um, concern that I wasn't applying myself. Tracy, you're so smart. Why aren't you getting these things accomplished or why are you not Wait, why are you waiting until the last minute to get things done? 
And, and really, I didn't have an answer. I know I can vividly remember sitting in fourth grade, working on my times tables, and looking up at the clock and looking down at my paper. I remember the light as it entered the room. I remember everything um, about that day, about those days. And I was in Miss Deeker's class, and I could just remember panicking. And it had nothing to do with whether or not I knew the times tables. It had to do with the pressure that I felt literally looking at the clock. I had 60 seconds to fill out a page. Now, I'm certain that plenty other kids who went to schools in the 80s and, you know, had this same experience. Um, but I just remember it so vividly. Like, I knew the answers, but it was because the clock was on. Literally 60 seconds to, to finish something. And it just stressed me out. And I can remember going in the bathroom and crying. And, you know, it's just... <laughs> a vivid recollection that didn't jive. Like I knew the, I knew the math. I mean, some of them were harder than others. For some reason, nines just blew me away and I know tricks now that make it much easier, but that's besides the point. So anyway, um, I was talking to my new therapist and we had just started lockdown and I had signed up to take some courses online to help prepare me for graduate school. One of the classes was completely asynchronous, which means um, none of it was happening live. You you were self-paced, you went and watched videos of lectures whenever you wanted to. And then one of the classes was, was half synchronous and half asynchronous. So half of the context was, was in, um, in real time with other students. The teacher was pro- providing the lectures And then the other half wasn't. So it became very apparent to me that there was, I just could not do the asynchronous work. I couldn't get online. I couldn't, um, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. I mean, I was paying money for these classes. So I was doing this work in a class that I wanted to succeed in two classes, as a matter of fact, it's like, um, intro to psychology and social work 101. These were crucial classes for the graduate program that I wanted to enter. And I just couldn't do it. In addition, at this point, now I'm home working full time. The kids were home full time trying to go to school remotely Um, And they were in very low grades. And so it was really hard to keep them focused. And my husband was home at work. So there were all four of us in the house, all trying to get everything done. And our house is not very large. Um, It's a nice, very sweet, cozy little house. But we were all up on each other. And there was constant noise. And my desk is upstairs right by the television. So I, I just was really struggling to focus. I was getting extremely agitated with sound and just, I was just overwhelmed with everything. Now, obviously, you know, that was not a normal situation. However, it did indicate um, a concern that I didn't know to look for. And so my therapist said, Hey, Tracy, have you ever, um, been diagnosed or, or assessed for ADHD? And I'm like, well, no, I mean, I did fine in school. I mean, I finished my undergraduate degree and a lot of people um, might not be able to, to do that. So no, I mean, I was fine. And 
that is when I learned a very important lesson. And that is that children who are assigned female gender at birth, AFAB children, are raised a little differently. And so our symptoms are largely, um, they display themselves differently. So while um, AMAB children, boys, um, presenting boys, um, are raised in a, in a way where their emotions and their activities are allowed to be more um, demonstrative. They're allowed to be more um, present and, and outwardly shown. Whereas um, AFAB children or little girls, they are raised to be uh, less boisterous, more internal, introspective, more quiet. And so little boys who have um, been assessed for ADHD, they are usually, um, you know, shown to be the ones that are like always dancing in their seats or, you know, rough housing or always doing things like that um, and getting into fights and, and things. Whereas um, children who are assigned female gender at birth are often more internalized. So they have like this anxiety, this pressure. Um, I, I don't know about other um, AFAB children who are now in adulthood being told that they had, that they've had ADHD, but chatty, they say, you know, th- these children are chatty little girls and, um, you know, they, they do pretty well in school, but they struggle because a lot of their, um, symptoms are internalized and show as anxiety. And so, children like me were treated, well, I wasn't until I was an adult, but were treated for anxiety and or depression. Because a lot of that, a lot of our symptoms are internalized. The pressure to succeed, the pressure to, um, you know, to try and do well, to be, you know, outwardly calm and quiet and demure, (laughs) but inwardly a hot, mess. So that began almost a year long journey. Actually, it was, it was a year to have myself assessed by my therapist who was a licensed social worker, but my primary care doctor did not feel comfortable assessing and or prescribing ADHD medications to an adult. And that is where this uncomfortable journey really, really began. Um, I'm going to pause here for just a moment and I will be back with more of my story. So we are back and I guess the next leg of this uh, conversation has to do with my assessment. First of all, it's kind of difficult to get an assessment for an adult with ADHD. There are not a lot of places that do it. And part of the issue with getting an adult assessment is that in a lot of cases, a physician or psychiatrist is going to want to have a parent or a teacher that knew you when you were a child fill out part of the assessment. 
And for lots of reasons, there are not always options for people who have adults that were in their life at the time fill out these forms for them. I'm not even going to get into it, but there aren't always people who have the ability to have a parent or an adult fill in these forms for them. Uh, That being the case, they have to do a full, like, two-hour diagnostic assessment. It includes a lot of things that I'll get get to in, in a few minutes, but... I had to find a, essentially a dias, oh, what's the word? Diagnostician. I think that's it. Sure. We're going to go with that. Someone who has the ability to run the um, assessment and diagnose adults with ADHD. So this process, um, going to my therapist, my therapist filling out all the paperwork, my primary care doctor not feeling comfortable providing that medication or that diagnosis, then referring me to a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist wanted me to have a parent fill out the forms for me, and that was um, not going to to work for me. Um, And so then I had to go in addition to find uh, someone else. Now, each of these had several month lead times in between because at this point we're going through COVID. We're uh, on and off various levels of um, quarantines. And so people are scheduling out six, seven, eight months. So after a year, I was finally able to sit down with the physician that I ended up doing my diagnostic, my diagnosis. And I have to admit that that whole process from, hey, Tracy, I think that you might have ADHD, let's talk about it, to getting a diagnosis took about a year. And for anybody who might have struggles with ADHD, the process in itself, for me at least, was incredibly counterintuitive. Um, I am someone who struggles with remembering things, and so trying to remind myself that I need to make another phone call to another doctor to try to schedule another appointment just was quite a struggle. But after a year of um, unsuccessful attempts, I finally was able to get in and see my doctor. Now, by this point, I had been weaned off of my anxiety medication because they were planning on putting me on um, ADHD medications or something else if that was the case and the med I was on required quite a lot of um, withdrawal so it was a slow process they titrated me down um, so for almost a year I was weaning myself or being weaned off by a physician um, of this medication and waiting for an assessment The test itself was kind of fascinating. There were tons of different memory tests. There were obviously a lot of um, like scale questions like um, this is extremely like me or this is not like me at all from a scale of one to five or whatever. Um, There were several pages of those kinds of questions talking about, you know, what kind of 
things you did as, as a child, how you may have or may have not struggled in school, what things were complicated for you. And then there was a language test, um, more and more complicated vocabulary. Um, and, and what I found out was that part of this is a verbal IQ test. And I didn't understand why all of these questions were relevant, but they very much were. So part of the reason that they took all of these kinds of tests was specifically to find out a couple of different pieces of information. First of all, um, if I had a learning disability. So they asked questions about memory, questions about um, vocabulary, um, and a lot of these things had to do with determining whether or not memory or focus issues had something to do with my attention and my ability to remember details, or if there is like a mechanical issue with how I learn. Um, And because of that, they determined a few different factors. So I took this test and at the end I was exhausted and he said that he would get back to me in a week. Um, A week later, we had our meeting and I can't really express how impactful this meeting was for me. So he went piece by piece through all the different aspects of the test I took. He um, talked me through what each piece of the test meant. Um, The vocabulary was to determine whether or not I understood and was able to return, excuse me, retain the definitions of words and things like that. Um, And he said, um, I have to admit, so this part here was a verbal IQ test. And while this is only really a preliminary verbal IQ test, um, I, it goes to 139, um, out of, I don't, I honestly don't know how high a high IQ test goes. I guess it goes until you stop. I don't know. But the point is he said that our test really the max you can get is 139 plus or minus one. And he's like, so I can definitively say that on this preliminary verbal IQ test, you have a verbal IQ of 140. Now, I don't know what that means. I still kind of don't know what that means. Um, I know that that's on the higher end, but he was like, that's, that's literally as high as we could test you. So it's probably more than that. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with the other portion of the IQ test. So, you know, I feel like there are certain parts of that I, I would not do very well in. But he asked me, you know, were you ever in like... Um, classes for, you know, um, gifted or advanced learners. And I had to admit that I was in a, an advanced reading class when I was in kindergarten. I used to go up to the third grade classroom and take reading class with them. But other than that, no, I wasn't. And and frankly, I had a lot of my academic career where I felt completely inferior and, like uh, the dumbest kid among my really, really, really intelligent friends. And he said, well, I feel like your educators did you a disservice. And I'm sorry for that. 
And I don't know why, but that made me cry. You know what? No, that's, that's not true. I do know why. I think it's because I felt really dumb my whole life. Um, and, and part of what I, so I asked him, I'm like, is it normal for people to cry? (laughs) You know, when you tell them that they're really smart and they didn't know their whole lives. He's like, well, yeah, actually. Um, and frankly, um, the fact that it makes you feel this emotional just reinforces my idea that this diagnosis is correct because there is a part of you that knew you could do better, but you just didn't have the right tools and wanted to do better, which is true. Um, I know that for me, it was really heartbreaking that I never got into National Honor Society. And, you know, I, I think once I got out of elementary school, I was a solid BC student. Um, and then in college, I lost it. I was on my own for the first time in my life. And I, I just, I, I did not do well. Um, now, I graduated college uh, by the skin of my teeth. But that was after failing out of my first major and having to choose a, a new major. So he was like, honestly, um, when a, an adult hears of their child's diagnosis, they usually cry because they're sad. They feel like their child's broken and that, you know, they didn't do the right things or whatever for their education. But when I tell an adult that they have ADHD after a lifetime of suffering and not knowing why, and, you know, the guilt and blame and shame that is associated with not fulfilling their potential. Yeah, they cry. And so, um, or not they, you know, crying tears isn't necessarily the only, uh, descriptor of feelings, but he get, yeah, they get very emotional and that's how I felt. And so the rest of the discussion kind of went in one ear and out the other, mostly because I just kept thinking, you're not stupid you're not stupid. You're not stupid. And, you know, he explained things in, in very clear detail. Um, you know, that I have a neurological disorder that makes my attention and my focus very difficult to kind of harness. And because I uh, was raised as a, you know, a girl that it was, far more likely that I was going to be diagnosed with anxiety or depression or some type of somewhere in the middle. So after I almost, well, after a year, I was officially and formally diagnosed with ADHD. And when people say adult ADHD, really what that means is I am an adult who was not diagnosed as a child. And so that changed so much for me, just that conversation. And, you know, I had waited a really long time, more than a year. I waited most of my life to know what was wrong with me, why I couldn't focus on things, why video games or role-playing games, um, or art, you know, were the things that I, the only things that I could really focus on. And now I have an answer. And because I have an answer, I have steps that I can take to improve my quality of life. Now, part of the reason that I started down this journey was because 
you know, it affected my life in, in future education and, and things like that. But in addition, I have struggled with work pretty much my whole life. And it has never been an issue of being interested or disinterested. It 100% has an issue of if a task is too repetitive for me, I cannot stay focused. And I often seem to find support jobs where I can help people. And the paperwork, if it is repetitive, I start missing details. I forget to change the date. Um, I forget to send the email. I think that I've sent it already because I've done it so many times. My brain just doesn't under, like, doesn't realize that this is something separate. And so because of that, I have struggled with employers, um, thinking that I'm lazy, thinking that, you know, I don't want to be there or I don't care. And so without being too specific, I have been, you know, stressed and anxious about losing my job all the time because I'm always sort of a little behind and sometimes I have to work harder to keep up and sometimes I get drawn into an office and the manager's like, look, if you don't uh, get your shit together, you know, we're going to have to put you on like a, um, an assessment plan or whatever. And anytime that I mention that I think that I had something wrong with me, really their, their first response is, but you're so smart. Clearly you're just not applying yourself or you're so smart. I don't understand why, you know, maybe, maybe you don't want to be here. And if that's the case, you need to find a new job. And so that has added so much stress to my life. And so of course, you know, when I talk to my therapist and I talk to my doctor, my primary um, symptom is anxiety. And that is because I am constantly afraid that I'm going to lose my job. So like, I guess part of the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is that I have my diagnosis. It was hard to get, but once I had it, I started to have hope again. I have spoken again to the psychiatrist I had to get, and he is recommending that I get on a medication to help. And I have not started it yet, but I kind of wanted to go through and explain my experience because there are other assigned female at birth children um, who have grown into adults who are suffering. And there are also assigned female at birth children who might not get diagnosed because their outward expression of intelligence does not match their inward expression of understanding and focus. And so I wanted to share this experience and, and yes, I'm in my car and I'm driving and there's occasionally beeps from my phone because I forgot to turn off my, um, notifications, but what, how, how ADHD is that? (laughs) It's a perfect example of not being able to find the time otherwise, you know, but I felt it was really important to share this part of my my story because this is the beginning for a new chapter of my life and I am nervous and excited and I'm just so 
incredibly hopeful that my quality of life will improve and my relationships to my employers, to my family, to my friends will become more healthy because of it. Um, And I will have, I'm going to have to work on my, you know, self-identity because I know I'm not lazy. I know I have great ideas and I know, you know, what I want to do and how I want to do it insofar as my dedication to things I'm passionate about. I just needed help and I think I'm finally going to get it. So I wanted to leave you with that to let you know um, a bit about my experience and maybe some of this will resonate with some of the people um, that might hear this. And if so, I really encourage you if you have the means and the ability um, and any of this resonates with you to look into potentially getting diagnosed. And, And maybe you don't have ADHD, but the journey to understanding how your brain and its focus works it is, I think, worth it if it's something that you struggle with. So I'll just leave it at that. I will thank you for listening and just let you know that you are worthy, you are loved, and I hope that you will be well. Take care. Bye-bye.